Hey everyone, welcome to the Good Lion Theology class. This is the part of our show where we help you go deeper in your faith through the theological study of God and through edifying discussions with our students. In today's episode, you're going to be hearing part five of our Advancing the Kingdom of God class. After the lesson, I'll be joined by our students for a discussion. Today's students are Zach and Ellie Owens, Sam Buccelli, and Emilia Dinatelli. Today's lesson is titled, The Kingdom of God Advances Through Simple Obedience, Not Through Escapism. You're listening to the Good Lion Theology Class. So as kingdom people, we have this great hope that one day Jesus will come and restore, he'll redeem, he'll rescue, he'll renew all things. And that is a powerful message. But a lot of times when we think about advancing you know, God's kingdom, we want God's kingdom to advance. We are not thinking in the terms of what does God want to do right now? We're thinking, come rescue me, Jesus. I want your kingdom to advance in the sense of I want you to advance closer to me and take me and rescue me away from the problems of this world. And that just simply is antithetical to what the gospel is all about. I would say the kingdom of God advances through simple acts of obedience not through escapism. If you really want to advance the kingdom, simple acts of obedience. The kingdom is advanced through personal devotion, simply saying yes to what God is asking you to do. I love what Scott McKnight says. Let's get one thing clear first. To be heaven people, we don't need to be heroes. Heaven people live ordinary lives in ordinary places with ordinary families. They work at ordinary vocations. Yes, it is true. Some people are so heavenly minded they are no earthly good. But the opposite is just as often, or even far more often, the case. Man, what a, what a powerful statement. Uh, the, the reality that it's not just about being so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. We can also be so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. And we put this pressure on ourselves that we've got to be heroes. And that's so limiting. You, you don't have to be Billy Graham. Be you. But be the you that does what Jesus says to do. That rhymed. I didn't, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. I, I guess it's more spiritual because it rhymes. But I'm, I'm just saying, be, be you. Be obedient. One thing I've been saying for years, I started saying this to my youth ministry students, is that simple acts of obedience are the building bricks of the kingdom of God. We can sit around our whole life waiting for some big, amazing ministry opportunity that may never come and miss all of the ways that Jesus wanted us to daily be laying bricks in the kingdom through just doing what he said to do, to just do the simple things he calls us to do. Honestly, I'd advocate for seeing every opportunity as a possibility to advance God's kingdom. Let's say your neighbor needs help moving. You could think, oh, I'm busy. I don't really want to. Maybe I, I don't even really like him. <laughs> but Jesus says, hey, do it for my kingdom. And you say, well, how is that for the kingdom? Listen, Jesus says, if you give a cup of water to a thirsty child, you're giving it to him. You're building the kingdom through acts of obedience and through service. You see a homeless guy on the side of the road. You have an option. Do you just pass him by or can you build the kingdom? How do I how do I build the kingdom? What are you talking about? Give him some food. Sit down next to him. 
ask him his story. How, ask him how you can pray for him. This is kingdom building stuff. It's not rocket science. It's every day in every situation saying, Holy Spirit, I'm open to how you would lead me in this moment. It's loving your wife. It's loving your kids. It's loving your parents. Maybe you're living next door to neighbors and they're living in sin. Uh, judging them is the kingdom of the world's way, but asking how can I actually show these neighbors love, that's building the kingdom. Getting involved in your local church, in outreach ministry, or homeless ministry, or children's ministry, or youth ministry, these are all simple but powerful and effective ways of building God's kingdom. So how, how do you how do you obey? Well, remember, how you think shapes how you live. If what you're longing for is safety, security, financial health and wealth and all of these things in this life, that's going to motivate how you obey and what you obey. If the God of money and finances says in order for you to be safe and secure, you need to neglect your kids, neglect your wife, neglect the ministry, things that God has called you to do and just go off and be a workaholic, then you're going to obey that voice because you're going to think it's going to have the most return on investment. This is why we need to renew our minds and have the heart of Jesus that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. Christian author Mark Buchanan says, those who have cultivated a genuine heavenly mindedness, who have named and nurtured the human longing for elsewhere and otherwise, have been people who have worked and prayed the most passionately, courageously, tirelessly and unswervingly for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I, I love that. Those who have cultivated a genuine heavenly mindedness, who have named and nurtured the human longing for elsewhere and otherwise. This, this longing for, oh man, I am a part of a greater kingdom, a greater country. I've read the book. I've seen what the future holds and I just want to see Jesus bring that and I want to help people taste it here and now. I want to work hard for that. I want to pray for that. If, if you're hearing what I'm saying and you're just like, oh, I lack that heart daily, start by daily spending time with Christ, obeying that call to just be with him and sit with him and rest with him. And you'll start to see your heart become more in line with him. You'll start asking questions like, who can I love? Who can I serve? How can I bring the kingdom here in, in my present life and reality? I would say we need to avoid escapism at all costs. Escapism is the enemy of obedience. One of the negative, unfortunate side effects of a lot of Christian eschatology that focuses on the fact that Jesus is coming back to rescue us is that it causes us quite often to look at the world and just go, this world stinks. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. This world is so sinful. Why even try? It's all going to burn, brother. Lord, just get us out of here. Just get us out, Lord. Just save us. If that's your mentality, I think Jesus would say, hey, wake up. Watch a little less of the 24-hour news cycle. Tune in instead to what Jesus is doing, to what the King is doing in his kingdom. Right here and right now, Jesus is saying, I want you to be a part of it, but it's going to take acts of obedience. You know, I've got I've got some old school Christian friends who like to sign their email with the word Maranatha, which 
is a classic Christian word that was used a lot in the 1970s with the Jesus People movement. The interesting thing is there's just one use of that Aramaic phrase, Maranatha, in the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16.22, Maranatha, that is, Lord come. Most translators translate it as a cry for King Jesus to come soon. It's not a cry of escapism. It's a cry of expectation. We see the evils of the world and we long not just to escape the evil, but to see the evil made right. Escapism, just this idea of simply get me out of here, Jesus, it causes us to miss out. It cripples our mission. It causes us to just worship the twin idols of safety and security. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, God grant that the kingdom of Jesus Christ may grow in his church on earth. God hasten the church of the kingdom of this world and establish his own kingdom in power and glory. That should be the heart cry of every Christian, this longing for that future kingdom to be fully restored, but also, Lord, build your kingdom here. Get the process started now and use us. Help us to be a part of it. I know it's a popular mentality to look at the world and think it's going to hell in a handbasket because evil is real. Like, yes, some things have gotten better. Also, some things have gotten worse. That's the pendulum swing of civilization where we have the kingdom in some ways improving and we have better medicine and we have hospitals to help heal sick people and we've got charities that are helping with things like hunger and poverty and all of this stuff and then we've got sexual abuse and sex trafficking and TikTok, <laughs> things like TikTok, right? I'm just trying to think of all the evil things in the world. Um, we, the world's a mess. There's good and there's bad. And it's so easy to focus on the bad and to have this escapist mentality of, Lord, just get me out of here. I'm ready now. And what I'm trying to say is that is fundamentally against the heart of the gospel and the heart that every Christian should have of, Lord, I'm, I'm here. You planted me here. I don't know when you're coming back. I know that you are. I know I'm going to see the kingdom, whether you come and you bring it, it, Lord willing, sometime soon, maybe even the next year or so. Who knows? It could be a thousand years from now. It could be next year. It could be today. I, I don't know. The reality is no man knows the day or the hour. But the other reality is that while we wait, we've been given a mission. Jesus has called us to love to serve, to reach people, to go into the darkness and to bring the light, to love, to serve even at our own expense, to, to volunteer our time and our money and our efforts to help people. These are all good and great and godly things. And so while we're here, while we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we have, we have a part to play. We all have a role to play and, and no role is too small. Simple acts of obedience are the building bricks of the kingdom of God. And so my encouragement for you is to start asking the Lord, what, what ways are you calling me to be obedient? How can I build your kingdom as I wait for you to return? All right, everyone, welcome to the Good Lion Theology class. We just finished Part five of advancing the kingdom through simple acts of obedience, not through escapism. Do you guys have any questions based on what you just heard? I'd love to hear it. Yeah. My question is, how do I 
how do I be obedient? In other words, like, what am I listening to? Like, who's telling me what to do? Is it, is it like my inner, my inner sense of the spirits leading? Or is it, you know, more objectively the word of God? Or, or how do I combine mm. those two? Because scripture teaches both. How would you answer that question? What voice am I listening to? Yeah, that's really good. It's a good question. So here's what I would say. I think that every Christian is called. Every Christian has a calling. I'm a huge believer in the concept of calling. If you look all throughout scripture, the major characters, like all of them are called. Abraham is called. Moses, the burning bush, right? He's called. All of the 12 disciples, you have these stories of Jesus calling them to this very specific ministry. You know, Peter you know, leave your, your fishing business, Levi, stop being a crooked tax collector and follow me. And then he gives them specific things to do. So I think that every Christian has a specific calling. And I think sometimes that calling can change. For me, I had a specific calling to be a youth pastor. And I did that for, you know, over 10 years or around 10 years. I'm not called to be a middle school pastor anymore. I could be in the future, but for right now in this season, I'm called to be out in Oklahoma and I'm called to be doing things like this, like, like leading this class. And so every Christian has a specific calling, but the problem is sometimes it's hard to discern what that calling is. And sometimes we ask God, what am I called to? What's my specific calling? Like what ministry am I supposed to be doing? What, like, what, what's my career? What's my future? And we ask God to reveal that to us. A lot of times he's slow to reveal it. A lot of times the response isn't as fast as we want. And so that can leave a lot of Christians, especially those who have a passion and desire for ministry, when they don't feel like they have their specific calling down, it can lead to times of giving up, times of apathy, times of feeling like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So you're just kind of wandering aimlessly. And so I would circle back around and say, even though every Christian has a specific calling, we have to also remember that every Christian has the same general calling. And if you don't know what your specific calling is, you can always fall back on the general calling. The general calling is the Great Commission. It's preach the gospel, make disciples. And, and then even beyond that, it's love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So you, even like, let's say, you know, you're, you're looking for like, am I supposed to be a missionary in this country? Am I supposed to go into this ministry? Or, you know, I work in this job in the secular world and I'm looking for a specific ministry thing I can volunteer my time to. If God's not clear about that, that's okay. You still have a calling. It's love God, love people, preach the gospel, make disciples. So it's up to you to seek the Holy Spirit and to have him show you ways that you can do that just throughout your regular life. And I find that having an openness to that and a desire to do that will constantly open up opportunities to do it. It's about a mindset. It's about going into your daily work, daily life, daily rhythm, and having an open mind and an open heart of, here I am, Lord, use me in whatever way you want. And there's going to be some days where you don't feel like you're being super used for the kingdom, but that that's the cool thing is, so think of, we think about ministry as, you know, serving people, right, and going out and converting people and, you know, just preaching the gospel to thousands of people. Ministry isn't just that. Ministry starts with your relationship with God. Like we are called to minister to God. How do you do that? By spending time with him. Not out of a sense of like religious duty, but just by being his friend. He likes spending time with you. He's blessed by your prayers. He's blessed by your worship. He's blessed by you wanting to study the scriptures to become closer to him in his heart. So ministry starts with 
your relationship with God. It, it starts with ministering to God, and then it flows out from there. So hopefully that makes sense. We've got specific callings, but then we all have the same general calling that we can always fall back on. And also, the last thing I'll say too is, your specific calling always should line up with that general calling. If you get some like weird calling that you think is like your specific calling, but it doesn't involve preaching the gospel, making disciples, loving God, loving people, then you, you need to check whether that's the Lord or whether it's just your own ambitions. Thank you. Thank you. So you talked a lot about like giving to the poor, helping the needy, and kind of all things along that line in that video. I guess my question is like, where do you draw the line so that you are not letting people take advantage of you and not becoming a doormat? Or if we shouldn't do that as Christians, like what would you say to that? It's a good question. Yeah, I think I think it's hard because if anyone made himself a doormat, it seems to be Jesus. Dying on the cross for humanity is it, it's it's very much what Jesus did. It very much put himself in a low position. So it's hard because we don't want to be taken advantage of as humans. We don't want to be taken advantage of, and yet Jesus calls us. I think at times to not to necessarily allow people to take advantage of us, but to I mean, what does he say, what does he say to on the Sermon on the Mount? He's talking to Jews under the oppression of Romans. And he, he says, if anyone asks you to go a mile, go two. <laughs> and in the context of that statement, what was happening was these Roman guards were looking at the Jews who were under their oppression and saying, OK, you're a Jew. I'm a Roman. I'm in power. I'm tired. Take my heavy armor and carry it for me a mile down the road. And Jesus says, if someone asks you to do that, instead of going, yeah, I'll carry it. But as soon as we get to a mile, I'm dropping that armor. I'm getting out of here. He says, no, you carry it two miles. Is that letting that person take advantage of you? I think that it's all about, I, I think, I think getting taken advantage of it's, it's kind of like being tricked. But if your heart posture from the start is I am willing to help this person no matter what, even if it costs me, you're not being tricked. You're just being obedient. So all that being said, I think where you draw the line is you have to look at every situation individually and you have to pray. You have to ask the Holy Spirit for conviction. I, I remember there were times where, well, I'll just give an example. I go down to Tulsa, Oklahoma sometimes and I personally feel compelled to help homeless people. I don't usually give them money. I usually give them food. I go and buy them food. When I go down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's tons of homeless people down there. And if I see a homeless person in need, a lot of times I'll help them. But there's this one guy where every time we're down there, we always see him. And he always comes up to crowds of people and says, hey, it's my birthday. I want to give something to the birthday boy. And I'm like, okay, I've been here. And every time I've been here out of the last 12 times, it's always this guy's birthday. So obviously I don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't want to for, you know, some fake story, but I can look at this guy. And even though he's being tricky, I can still say, well, I can still buy him some food. I can still buy him some food and then combine the actions of the gospel with the words of the gospel and say, hey, the reason I'm giving you this chicken sandwich is because of the free gift of salvation Jesus gives us. And I can you know, I can go into that, that gospel message with him. So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just think we, you know, the Bible says be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. So, yeah, what it really comes down to is Holy Spirit, ask him, trust him, 
and and ask him to to open up doors for you to reach people without being taken advantage of. You compared our situation to, to that of Christ, and now mm. he, you know, he did put himself in this in this situation where he suffered a lot at the hands of others. But I, I would say that Jesus was never. I don't think Jesus ever saw himself as a victim. You know, Jesus no. was a man on a mission, and in everything right. he did, he he did it with power and purpose. And so, Amen. if we're you know we're following in Christ's footsteps, I would say if you find yourself in a situation and you you feel powerless, you feel like a vic- extricate yourself from that situation. You don't 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 remain mm. in that situation. But if you can, if you feel like the Lord has given you the grace and and He's given you the ability to endure that situation and to do it for Jesus, I would say yeah, like go for it. That's awesome. Does that kind of make sense? I think it does. I think that. I think we don't want to go purely off of our feeling, though, because there are times where I'm in a situation that God has placed me in, but because of my flesh, I feel like a victim. Because of my weakness, I feel like a victim. And, and so I'm looking at the situation saying, oh, God, get me out of this situation. Things are so hard for me. This is hurting my finances or this is stressful. And, and, and God's response to me sometimes in those moments is like, no, this is exactly where I want you. I mean, think about the ship that Paul was on in the book of Acts that got shipwrecked. You know, he's in this boat that's heading towards the rocks about to crash and burn and explode and run aground on the rocks. And yet the Holy Spirit tells Paul, stay in the ship. And then he tells everyone else, guys, we've got to stay in the ship. And they're looking at him like, what on earth, Paul? Like we should be getting in the lifeboats and getting out of here. And Paul says, actually, no, if you get in the lifeboats, you're going to die. The Holy Spirit has told me, that we actually have to stay in this stressful situation. And that's really the only way that we'll be saved. So I think, I think it goes back to, again, the Holy Spirit, because there are other times where I might be putting myself in a situation that Jesus doesn't even want me in. And it's not a good situation for me to be in. And I am being taken advantage of, or I am a victim. And I think in those situations, you got to listen to the Holy Spirit. And like you said, you got to get out of there because Jesus doesn't want us to be in this state of perpetual weakness we have to be operating from strength. And I think it's exactly what you said. Jesus was never the victim. He was always in control of the situation. But there's also this dichotomy where he's in the garden before he gets crucified and he's sweating drops of blood. He's having basically a panic attack, an anxiety attack. And the stress of it is causing this hemorrhaging of blood from his skin. And so there's a humanity to Jesus that we see, but there's also the sovereignty of God at play throughout all of it where he is very much in control. So, and I think that you, you see that carried on to followers of Jesus. Think about Paul. He, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's under house arrest, and he could have been in this perpetual state of weakness where it's like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. But he's writing from the jail cell, encouraging the other Christians, saying, count it all joy, guys, it's all good. And so you see him following Jesus's footsteps where he has that same sense of power, even in the midst of his weakness, And so I love that you brought that up. That's the model that Jesus gives us where in Christians, we're going to be put in situations that look like weakness to the rest of the outside world. But because of the power of the spirit within us, we can have this sense of strength 
in the midst of even the the harshest circumstance. So does does that kind of does that kind of track? Does that make sense? Yeah, that was awesome, Ernie. Yeah, thank you. I think also even with Jesus, that there were moments when he took himself out of situations. True. Where he like walks through the crowd, or where he goes off and spends some time alone with a couple of the disciples, and mm. there's whole different things that happened in that situation. But that where he, there were moments that he knew that he needed to step away from the situation that was happening, yes. but also moments that he needed to get out to take care of himself for what was going to come. Bingo. And that balancing taking care of ourselves or take, getting out of situation when the spirit is leading us with also being in a situation when it's hard, and that yeah. balancing the tension of those two. That's great. I love that you brought that up because in ministry, you can have a tendency to just be like, I have to always be on, always serve people, always help people. And I will just do it and do it and do it until I'm completely drained. And then I'll do it some more. And that's not how Jesus models for us. And that's not how he wants us to live. Jesus was constantly pouring himself out, but then he was constantly withdrawing and going and filling himself back up by spending time with the father. I'll just be honest, this has been my biggest struggle as somebody in ministry. I am, you know, on the whole Enneagram thing. I don't know if you're into that. Some people are into it. Some people aren't. But, you know, I'm a two, which is the helper, the giver. And so the way I'm wired is I just want to serve and I want to help. I want to encourage. I want to give people advice. I want to be there for people in their struggle. That's That stuff is life-giving to me. But what I find is I can just do, 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 just keep doing stuff. And then I'm not spending time with the Lord. I'm not getting filled back up. And then I'm just drained. And that's, that's exactly, it's exactly what you said. It's Jesus. He did not, he was there for the crowds, but he didn't let them take advantage of him in the sense that he was like, oh, I'm just going to always be here for you whenever you want. And I'm never going to have any time to myself. No, he valued withdrawing, taking some time to be with the father and then going back out, you know? And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's both and it's both things. talk a little bit about escapism around that question. Do you guys have any thoughts on that or any questions around the whole escapism part of it? Because growing up in the church, escapism was always kind of a part of Christianity for me. I I grew up in Calvary Chapel, which when it comes to eschatology, we're pre-tribulational dispensationalists, which means we believe in the rapture of the church before the tribulation. We believe that Jesus is coming back and he is going to remove us from the harshness of the world before the world gets even worse. I don't have anything bad to say about that. I know there's different eschatologies. I don't have any problem with anybody who believes different eschatology. I think drawing a line in the sand about somebody over eschatology is divorcing yourself from a member of your family because you can't agree on what time dad said he'd be home for dinner. So I think that's just (laughs) stupid and we shouldn't do that. But, you know, I, I think that as much as there's good things about the way that I grew up, The downside of it is I've seen many Christians who hold to that eschatology have this sense of escapism where it's like they look at the world and it's just, ah, the world's just going to burn. It's going to hell in a handbasket. And so I'm just want Jesus to take me out of this situation. And every time there's an election where the guy that they don't want to win wins, it just seems that everything hikes up even more. And there's more just, ah, the world's dying and everything's terrible. Just get us out of here, Jesus. And my main argument is just, if that is our mentality, 
we are going to miss out on the reality that the kingdom is here. It's it's happening now. Things are happening now. The kingdom, it's coming. It's already, but not yet, right? So the, the kingdom is one day going to be fully realized, but it's also here because Jesus is here. He is doing things, and we miss that sometimes. We miss the miracles and the amazing things that he's doing in his kingdom, and we miss out on being a part of it because we're so caught up with just wanting to escape. So that, that's that's a conversation starter. Any questions on that? Any comments on that? I think that we can escape not just like in regards to like Jesus get me out of this, but also with things here and now. I think it ties into kind of the Scott McKnight quote you used mm. about how we can get so focused and fixated on things now or using it to numb or hide the pain instead of actually like working through and processing what is happening. Like, for instance, watching a ton of like YouTube or TV instead of like actively spending time in community or mm. in the word or praying or even just like, we're, like it doesn't even have to be a spiritual thing with this it could be like just going and actively spending time with someone versus like mm. isolating. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's that kingdom mentality. Instead of just living with this idea of, okay, I'm a Christian one day I'm going to go to heaven. And for now I just need to kind of get through life. It's I am living for God's kingdom now. And so everything matters. Every conversation matters. Every coffee date with a friend matters because it is an opportunity to encourage. It's an opportunity to strengthen one another. It's an opportunity to point one another to the realities of that kingdom. It's like we need to constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other. Every Christian should be an evangelist. Every Christian should be a preacher, whether you get to do it on a stage or not. wondering, Aaron, how much the the misconception in, in Christianity today that our hope is going to heaven, I wonder how much that influences this, this idea of escapism. Because we often, in evangelism, we make it like, like our hope is, oh, we're going to go to heaven one day. And that's it. Like, that's the big, you know, that's the big shebang. But that's not, that's not what scripture teaches. I mean, yeah, scripture mm. teaches we as, as believers will we'll go to heaven when we die. But then we're going to come back. You know, there's going to be a resurrection and, and, you know, the the final image we get in scripture is a new heavens and and a new earth. And so I'm wondering how much that misrepresentation of the Christian hope impacts this escapist mentality. And if it affects it a lot, and that's a huge part of the reason why I even wanted to start this class was if I can help anybody detangle that mess in their mind of heaven just being some distant, far off nebulous cloud spirit land and, and and understanding that heaven is coming to earth. The end of the story, like, yeah, there's a spirit realm. It's going to be amazing if you died and if you were in the presence of the Lord in that spirit realm right now, it would blow your mind and be better than anything you could possibly imagine, but it's still not the end of the story. God has something even better in mind. It's the reuniting of heaven and earth. And, you know, some scholars, when it comes to some of that eschatological imagery about the end times and what's going to happen to the world, there's some different views. Some scholars believe that planet Earth, as we know it, is going to be burned up and exploded and just wiped away. And then God is going to 
fashion a new earth, right? Kind of out of the dust, you know, like Adam was made from dust, taking the remains of the destroyed earth and then making something new. That's actually what I used to believe. What I now believe is I think a more faithful interpretation is not that God is going to destroy the world that he created, but he's going to destroy all evil from that world. And then he's going to renew and restore and resurrect that world. But regardless, either way, it it doesn't matter which one of those interpretations is the right way. Honestly, it's just nuance. It's semantics. The reality is at at the end of the day, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be unlike anything we could possibly imagine. I was reading the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Highly recommend it. Really, really good book. He gives basically like a, I'd call the book like, it, it, it's like 80% a super biblically literate theology of what heaven is based on what the Bible says about heaven all throughout scripture. And then it's like 20% kind of what I would say educated speculation based on like what the new heaven and earth could entail based on, you know, little clues that we've had here and there. So a really, really good book. But one thing that he said was like the way that we talk in the church about heaven is we talk about heaven, we talk about just that spirit realm. Like not a lot of pastors are talking about the new heaven and new earth. And so it'd be like if you were flying from America to England, but you had to stop in Florida in the middle and you just were telling people, hey, I'm going to Florida. It's like, that's your that's your layover. Like, why are you telling people you're going to Florida when you're actually going to England, the United Kingdom? And, and it's just... People haven't been educated. They haven't been informed. So I think it's a huge missing the puzzle, and I think we need to recapture it. We need to recapture people's imaginations. It's not that everything that we learned about heaven as kids is bad. It's good. It's just incomplete. Mm-hmm. Have you read Millard Erickson's Christian Theology? He defines heaven as, first and foremost, the presence of God. You know, mm. That's what heaven is. Like you said, it's not this far away, you know, cloud city. kind of. No, heaven is, first and foremost, the unveiled presence of God. And so when we think mm-hmm. of, you know, the final state, a new heaven and new earth, that's what that's what it is. It's that renewed cosmos where you have the spirit realm and physical realm merge and it's just diffused with the, the unveiled presence of God. That's what we're looking forward to. I love that. It's beautiful. I think it's important to recognize we should expect persecution, mm. right? And that's mm. something we went over before too. And so it's like, if we are trying to advance the kingdom, we need to first get right with ourselves and realize that it's not always going to be something that's all happy-go-lucky and candy and rainbow and lollipops <laughs> and whatnot. You know, it's like we are told to ex- ex- expect persecution and to mm. understand that trials are coming and there's going to be tribulation and difficulties and it's never going to be a complete walk to the park. And Mm. it can be uncomfortable because so much so of what we are trying to do goes against our nature. And, you know, we're we're living in this fallen world and and we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And Mm. so to to be having that kingdom mindedness, to have that perspective of the kingdom to come, Mm. it's going to take so much disconnect from from the world, but not so much. But we're still going to be in it. And I love what you say, Aaron, too, and how we need to be uh, aware of what's going on around us. We need to be aware of what's enticing to the world. We need to be conscientious of these things like through the spirit so we can so we can know how to combat in a sense. And so mm. it's just a great point for me to think too is 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 if 
we if the world doesn't have any problems with us then we've got a problem mm. you know if there's if everything's fine with us and we're good with all our secular friends we're good in our secular environment around work then we've got a problem and so i think when it starts in us it's it's tiny little measures of of realizing that disconnect from from where we are and from us in the world and so mm. yeah I don't, I don't know what what do you think i think i think that's well said <laughs> i fully agree I think that I think we can be so preoccupied with our own selves and our own lives and it leads to this this lack of obedience. It leads to a selfish mentality of life where it's all just about us and getting ahead. And I think that the sad thing, and you and I, Sam, were talking about this the other day, that lack of obedience and that lack of trust and that lack that lack of trust that leads to worry and stress about your life, it comes from a place of pride. And we don't think it's pride because when we worry, we're like, oh man, I feel so weak right now. I'm worrying about not being able to, you know, get ahead in life or do all the things that I want to do. And, but it's, it's, it's actually a place of pride because we don't actually trust that God is sovereign enough and big enough and powerful enough to be there for us and to get us through our life and to provide for us. And you know, an image that I'd contrast with it is, you know, there's that, that old classic movie, The Titanic, and during the scene where the boat is hit on the iceberg and it's literally, like, capsized and it's sinking. It's like the, the top of the boat is tipped up in the air and it's just, it's going down. There's a there's a part of that scene, I've only seen the movie a couple times, there's, there's part of that scene that's made me tear up at least twice where... Everyone's trying to save themselves. Everyone's running around. Everyone's clawing at one another, falling all over one another, and just falling into the abyss and dying. And yet there's a, a priest or a pastor on the boat, and he's got a small group of people around him, and he's just quietly reading scripture to them as the boat is sinking. And there's a small group of people gathered around. Everyone else is freaking out and clawing and, and dying, but there's that small group that's just listening to the pastor explain the gospel as the boat <laughs> is going down. And to me, that's just that beautiful picture of what we're called to be like, yeah, the world is Mm. sinking, it's dying, but it's going to be resurrected, but we have a role to play. And it's as the ship is sinking, we're called to point people to the truth and to point people Mm -hmm. to a God who loves them so much that he can actually rescue them from that sinking ship. Because even though the world, even though the world is dying, Christians, we know that death, death isn't a part of our story. Like physical death will happen, yeah, but but eternal death, no. Like, like death is the last enemy that will be defeated. And for us, like death is not finality; it's it's not the end. Like we we have a new life awaiting us, and that new life starts now, because of the kingdom. So, yeah, I think yeah. everything falls into perspective more when you recognize your role, right? Mm-hmm. You recognize your role as a child of God. You recognize your position, and and you give that authority back to God where He deserves mm-hmm. it. And yeah, probably a, a giant encouragement for me in my life too. And in in is is just where when we see Jesus and and going to the cross and going under huge persecution, what what happened? He he was silent, right? Like he was quiet. Mm-hmm. He took it quietly and. And, uh, and it was to fulfill Isaiah, you know, the prophet said it's he's silently a lamb to the slaughter. And, and, and it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, we can be silent in the middle of that. Like we can understand who God is in the bigger picture because he allowed us to see the bigger picture. And so mm. I think in order to advance the kingdom of God, and it's, it's going to start with us and it's going to start with just an appropriate 
heart posture and, and identity of, mm. of who God is and, and ulti- ultimately like our roles, as you said, too. It's, it's what is our role? And so it's, mm. it starts with us and it starts with and it. And it has to go with being under God and, and seeing how God dealt with these things, too. And so, yeah, to know our role, I think, is, is giant. It's good. Yeah. Well said. Really, really good. It's hard sometimes balancing like where we're living and how it's the here and the not yet. And I think that culture tells us that we need to do everything we can to, especially for women, to be a boss, to <laughs> like go get your dreams, go do these things, go, 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 go. Hmm. But also at the same time, there's a mentality to do as much work as you can to then not work. And that it's an obsession with work, but also at the same time, an obsession with not working. Mm-hmm. And I think that as Christians, both in regards to work as like the job that we have, but also the work of being a Christian and spreading the kingdom, that we have to do our work in a way that is focused on here and spreading the gospel, but also focused on the Maranatha, on Mm. Jesus coming and the excitement of him coming. And I think that Mm. we don't want to be focused on escapism but we also don't want to be working in a way that is not taking care of the kingdom and what God has given us. And that there has to be like a mixture of both in how we're acting out and living out the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's funny you bring up the whole, the whole girl boss thing, you know? And also, you know, I think it's funny because like every young guy that I know is calling himself an entrepreneur. (laughs) Like there's that hustle culture where it's like every young guy with a, with a suit jacket thinks that he is going to be the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And I've seen that in in young guys, even some young guys I used to mentor where it's that drive to just go and make something of yourself. And it's not just men these days, it's women, obviously, because things are progressing and in our culture, it's becoming much more accepted. And there's some, there's some good to that, you know, of women being able to, to do more and be more in, in our society. But at the end of the day, whatever your gender is, The scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with success, but it has to come down for every person. What has God called you to do? Like, what is he specifically calling you to do? If Jesus is calling you to do something or pursue something for his kingdom and you turn down that calling because it's financially inconvenient, I think that's always going to be a decision that we'll regret in the long term looking down because, you know, we can be sitting on a pile of money, but if we missed out on something that God had for us, that's not a good trade off. And sometimes it takes a long time for people to realize that. But thankfully, through the grace of God, there are many missed opportunities that we have, and yet there are always more opportunities. You can, God can have some plan for you. That's the, that's the beautiful thing I love about, I love about God is he could have some plan for your life and you could totally miss it right? You could totally do the wrong thing, go the wrong way, pursue your own passions, pursue your own lusts or whatever. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he's not like, oh, I had a plan and you didn't want to do it. All right. I'm never working with you again. He's like a chess master who is constantly adjusting and adapting to our incompetence and providing like more and more opportunities. And that's, that's the grace. Like you see that you see that all throughout scripture. Think about Peter. Think about all the time. Like he, he screws up. It wasn't Jesus's plan for him to deny Christ three times. 
but did Jesus say, I'm done with you? No, like he says, no, Peter, come on, let's keep working together. Peter was ready to throw in the towel. He was ready to go back to the, his fishing business and not be a minister of the gospel. And yet Jesus says, no, like I'm calling you, I'm, I'm going to build my church on, on this rock, you know, even though it's a flawed rock. Right. So yeah, I, I don't know if that touches enough on what you were talking about, but, but ho- hopefully that's helpful. understanding of eschatology impacts the way we we live right now and how we work for the kingdom. I think also if we look at the beginning of scripture, so we look at how we see revelation and what the scripture says about the end impacts how we live now. But also if we look at the beginning, that also impacts how we live now because we're talking about, you know, obedience and escapism. And so my question to you, Aaron, is what about in the creation narrative in Genesis and where God puts a Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gives them this this mission, you know, to work the garden and, and, to, and to keep it and to be his image bearers. So how should what Genesis says about the original purpose of humanity, how Adam and Eve were put in the garden, you know, to work the creation, to tend it and to care for it, and they were given that, that commission to be the image bearers of God. How should that hmm. original commission, along with the Great Commission, impact us as we work to advance the kingdom? That's a great question, and I think it's a great place to end uh, the discussion here. So it's all connected. It's all tied together. It, the, in some ways, things have changed, but in some ways, things have really, really stayed the same. In the beginning, what is the goal of God? It's to create a kingdom. It's to create a space, a place, earth, for humans and God to live, for, for the physical and for the spiritual to dwell together. So it's, it's about a kingdom. It's about a father. It's about a king. It's about his family, this, this royal family, this kingdom uh, of priests. And he creates us humans and then sin separates us and things go off the rails. And then there's this mission to get that kingdom back. If you go to Genesis We talked about this in another discussion, but in the beginning, in English, the scriptures say the world was formless and void. In the original Hebrew, it's tohu vavohu, which means wild and waste. And it's this idea of the world is made by God, not just like as an empty void, but actually as this like untamed wilderness, this this place to basically go and explore and build and cultivate. So God creates this, this world that's teeming with potential. And the original plan is like, Adam, Eve, my children, have more children. Let's start this family and then let's go out from, we're not all just going to stay in the garden. We're not going to stay in Eden. Let's go out and let's build this kingdom. Let's cultivate the world and let's build cities and towns and, and make this an amazing place for people to live and fellowship with God and experience his goodness and his presence and all this stuff. And then, yeah, like we said, sin messes it up. And so now we look at, for us as Christians, it's not just like, okay, Earth was an attempt, but we failed. God failed. So the whole thing, it's just, it's tanking, it's burning, it's going down. Uh, Backup plan, plan B, we're all just going to go live in the clouds. No, like we are able to join in that original plan and vision that God had with Adam and Eve. The kingdom was meant to be built in Genesis. We got really far away from it. And now through Jesus, we can come back to that mentality of we can go out and we can do good in the world. Like we can go out and we can make a difference. And again, Like, don't just go out and do good deeds without the gospel, because without the gospel, people perish. 
but go out, do good things, spread the good news, do those things together hand in hand, and you'll have way more of an open door with people if you're serving them and preaching to them. And then at the end of the story, it's all coming together and it's going to culminate in the world coming back to the way it was always meant to be. And the garden is going to return and, and the, 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 you know, going out and, and, and restoring the world and going out as the children of God and, and building things together and doing things together. And, and like heaven is not just going to be us sitting around. There's going to be stuff to do, jobs to do. There's going to be ruling and reigning it's it's going to be beautiful and we're all we're going to have a purpose we're going to have fulfillment we're going to have joy friendship peace it's going to be there's going to be work in heaven but it's going to be the kind of work you enjoy you know the difference between work that you hate and then work that's a pleasure because you're doing it with friends you love what you're doing you're you're accomplishing something you feel proud of that's what the work in heaven is going to be like and so yeah man i'm excited and and i and i hope that makes sense and i hope that's a vision that we can get behind of it's not that God had a plan and it failed and now it's, it's plan B. It, it's always been the same plan. And, and, and so that's, that's the bridge that Jesus is building. It's getting us back to that original heart and plan of God of reaching his world for the gospel of the kingdom. 